You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sometimes, whether you're a fan, whether you're an analyst, whether you sit in front of a microphone, or whether you're just sitting in front of a TV, you see the news that goes all across the world of sports, and somebody just has to remind you that it's time to relax. We've got a lot of headlines right now in sports. The question is, is it really a big deal, or is it not? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Sarah, we're back on this Monday. And, you know, if there's anything that, that you and I do together, we like to be level-headed, right? Like, we try not to yell too much about anything. We try not to go too crazy unless it's about our favorite teams. And we try to make sure that we are reacting to everything somewhat appropriately. So let's yeah, take some of the big I think that's why headlines. we're on at uh, 7 p.m. instead of midday. <laughs> I think that's why oh. we're still hustling instead of, uh, you know, living in the big mansions. We're a little bit well, too is, reasonable, I think. That is, you know what? I've rethought it all. These are all huge <laughs> deals, and we might tell you why Everybody they may freak not be. Out. <laughs> oh, all right, so let's start our, our walk back or walk to the freakout zone. Let's go either way. We're going we're gonna to give you a story. We're going to figure out whether it's a big deal or not a big deal, and it starts with Zion. Not Zion Williamson and the way he plays the game. No, not Zion and whether or not the Pelicans will get enough uh, with him this year to put themselves in the playoff battle. No, we can't be talking about Zion today. we got to be worried about Zion and what's going to happen in like 87 years when he has the ability <laughs> to go play somewhere else. So... After playing at the Garden over the weekend, he was asked about how he felt about it. This is what he said. New York is the mecca of basketball. I love playing here. Uh, when I played here in college, and this is my first time playing here in the pros, and, I mean, this, this atmosphere, you know, whether they're cheering for you, whether they're booing for you, uh, it's amazing. Uh, honestly, I think outside of New Orleans, obviously, uh, I think this might be my favorite place to play outside of New Orleans. I can't even lie to you. I can't lie to you. Now, even though he said Why? outside of New Orleans twice, <laughs> apparently, is this a big deal or not a big deal for you? Oh, God. Listen, I will respect those who know Zion and who correctly point out that this is not a guy who often gushes. Right. He's he's selective in his in his words. And, and this was probably said with some intention. That being said, to your point, he has many years left on his deal. We also know that this is. One of many, many players who have gushed about MSG with no intention of playing for the Knicks. Michael Jordan, right? There was even stories back in the day in the Chicago Tribune about, you know, Jordan almost being a Nick. Steph Curry has talked about how much he loves MSG. Kemba Walker, Kevin Durant. Remember how everyone was sure that Kevin Durant was going to the Knicks and not the Nets because he talked about how it felt like Rucker Park and it felt like a playground with walls. Kobe always talked about Madison Square Garden being so historical. LeBron, the names go on and on. Everybody loves MSG, except they don't want to play in it all year by being a part of the Knicks. They just want to tell you how great it is to visit. And that's usually where it ends. So I'm saying no deal. Yeah, I'm with you on no deal. And what I think makes this even more difficult for Knicks fans is now the Knicks have won a few games in a row and suddenly everybody says, oh, see, now we're building something. Something's going to be huge here and everybody's going to want to come <laughs> They play. always convince themselves. It, it, it's cute. I mean, it's and we all do it as fans. The number of times I've sat there with fellow Raiders fans and said, oh, yeah, well, people want to play for the Raiders. No, they don't. If your team's trash, <laughs> nobody wants to play there. If they can get paid to play elsewhere, they will. I mean, this, this is this is not a deal at all to me. Also, remember, in the NBA, they control your rights for the first seven years. So even if it is a big deal, man, they got five more years to ride it out and enjoy it. This is like worrying about what your wife's going to do on your fifth anniversary before you got to your first anniversary. It makes no sense to me at all. All right, so... 
Let's stick in the NBA, go to the next one, and this is Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, we all know, uh, obviously has had some injury issues. Now we can add on to that as he suffers a thigh contusion. The quote, he's sore, but we don't know how severe it is. So he's going to be missing some time, which then creates a great question about whether or not, in your mind, deal or no deal, Sarah. This is no deal to me as far as concern about just how much this could affect the Nets' ability to contend. It's a thigh contusion. It's painful. It's going to keep him out. But to me, this is a team saying, look, it's not important for him to be in there right now. We'd love to continue to get a look at our lineup when we've got all three together. It's very rare for them to have had a Harden, KD, and Irving. It's been seven games so far this year. That's it that they've had their big three. James Harden currently out with the hamstring strain. So they continue to find themselves shorthanded for games. But those games aren't that important. In the end, if this team is going to be world beaters in the postseason, it's going to come when they're all healthy and they're going to need to be healthy by resting Durant right now with an injury that he could probably play through if he needed to, but there's no reason to. So I'm saying no deal on this, except for it yet again prevents them from being able to get some 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 time together and for him to get some more time on the court. See, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, you missed it when uh, you were out on vacation. I went all hot takey on the Nets. Uh-oh. And so this is this is a no deal to me only because I'm already out on the Nets. Wow. Like, the stats, stats and Info has a great breakdown on the number of games you must play together in order to make the finals with the team that brings in a big three in their first year together. And the fact is, you usually have to play, I think it was about 65% of the games. I'll look it up again. But they're already so far gone on having any continuity. No deal. I'm already out on the Nets. They, they, no continuity. The Nets Can are not going to win the NBA championship like this year. For the days that I'm not around? where I can't talk you off that ledge, big guy? I mean, Uh-oh. that's, yeah, that's, there's the fire. that's what happens. When it's just me, it's just like, it's the, it's the snowball. It no just starts can, rolling. No one can and talk the you end, down. Oh, boy. Oh I boy. ended up saying that, that I didn't like their uniforms, that the entire arena is ugly, and they're not going to win anything. Most of that's oh not true, but I did say oh. wait, they're wait, not going to win the NBA championship. Not the uniforms that have the, like, BKYN. Oh, no, Those they're uniforms, actually, they're spectacular. They're okay, spectacular. good. Woo. Everything about Ugh. the Nets is great, but they're still not going to win the championship. <laughs> now that I've given my hot take on it, I can't walk it back. You know, of course, it's, yeah. it's, there's like a, a, a rule. It's got to be like a month later before I'm allowed to pretend I didn't make the hot take anyway. <laughs> All right, Ooh, I'm th- throwing subtle daggers there. All right, so let's uh, stick with deal or no deal. The Yankees stink. Is it a big deal or not a big deal to you that they've started five and ten? Gosh, I really wish I wasn't just downing the the uh, excitement of all of the topics that have dominated ESPN and other outlets today. Um, I actually heard Jeff Passan talking about this on KJNZ, and I think what he said was was smart. Which you know, you know, I hate to throw that Passan's way, but he said if I could just skip having to do analysis for all of April, it would make my life a lot easier because the things that happen early in the baseball season tend not to have lasting effects on how a team performs for the entirety of it in the postseason and certain teams, especially teams that have injuries um, that, that hit last season or leading into this year are going to take a little bit longer to get going. He's not worried about the Yankees. I'm not going to be worried about the Yankees. The thing that I find interesting is in the preseason, if you looked at all of the experts going down and saying, here's who we expect to be in the world series, who here's who we expect to dominate both sides of the league it was Dodgers, Yankees, Dodgers, Yankees, Dodgers, Yankees. So when I hear Chris Carlin on primetime on an ESPN radio talking about the Yankees as if we should have seen this coming all along, that's where I'm trying to figure out where the disconnect is. Mike, it's hard to imagine spending the amount of money that they are. And the team is constructed poorly, but it is because you've got so much. It's a, 
you know, they made the trade for Giancarlo Stanton. You're going to end up paying him forever, and he's not giving you what you need to get from him. But they, they play bad defense. There's not really great pitching at all behind Garrett Cole. I don't know when you spend all of that kind of money, how can there be so many obvious flaws in a roster? <laughs> I, I, like, I get it. I get that there were some concerns, but it's just funny how... I, and Fitz, also worth noting, the last time the Yankees started 5-10 and 10 was in 97. Um, they did make the playoffs that year, though, okay? So you can be concerned and still, still like, remember that they find their way out of it. I just think it's funny that people were so hot on them until they started off slow, and now it's, oh, we could have seen this coming. Yeah, that's the best part about it, because Chris Carlin gave you some great deep dive into what's wrong with this team in a lot of ways. Uh, but at the same time, we were all sitting here saying, okay, so the Yankees, they're going to be good this year. Like, uh, There's a lot of hindsight 2020 going on this one. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, Progressive's Home Quote Explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can pick what's right for you. See for yourself at Progressive.com. All right, we've got one more that we'll get into a little bit later, deal or no deal, that we want to get you guys involved in. But coming up next, the entire sports world is preparing for news this week. What will it mean? How will it come down? And what will it do to sports fans everywhere? We'll give you the breakdown. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. It fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We'll be going there a bunch over the course of the next couple hours. Got some good stuff coming up. But we're going to start with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. The entire world has one eye. Obviously, it feels like, or I should just say at least the entire nation here has one eye uh, on the court case involving Derek Chauvin, uh, obviously related to George Floyd, uh, as the jury is uh, begins to be sequestered today through that process, they will now go into the process of deliberation, and at some point they will give us a verdict. And Sarah, uh, this is a prominent sports story. Uh, I think it doesn't need to be explained, but obviously as everyone looks back over the course of the last year, particularly the events that led to George Floyd's death, led to so much activism from the world of sports, and we saw athletes using their platform to speak out. We saw games uh, being canceled. We saw leagues questioning whether or not they should play in the moment. And what we are expecting as the verdict comes down is, again, to have a very emotional charged time from a lot of people that have a platform and the availability and opportunity to speak on these things. So leagues are creating and crafting plans to make sure that everybody knows what to do, how to do it, and how they can all stand together to make sure that people have their voices heard, but also try and keep sports moving forward through this time. Yeah, Adrian Wojnarowski was on NBA Countdown sort of talking about how the NBA is planning ahead. I'm told that the league has told teams to be vigilant uh, about the possibility of game postponements this week uh, with the potential of a verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial in Minneapolis for the death of George Floyd and the possibility that there may be a night or two of games that could be postponed based on you know, the possibility of civil unrest, you know, certainly player reaction and, and how this could play out this week. I just think it's really wise, Fitz, because I think a lot of us are feeling this right now, but for those who aren't, um, trying to truly and deeply understand the emotional toll it takes for the news to be about this Derek Chauvin trial while we see the death of Dante Wright in Minnesota, while we see the police footage released in Chicago for Adam Toledo, while we're still grappling with now there's news that one of the men involved in the death and Brianna Turner has a book deal. Um, it's, it's a lot. 
it, it's a lot for me and I'm not a black person and I'm still having trouble. I'm trying to back off of social media. I'm not watching the news. I'm not scrolling on my phone because that mixed with the multiple mass shootings in the last couple of days, um, which I think it's three in the last two days alone. We're at 150 mass shootings in the U.S. just through 2021. It's too much. And so for these players, for their leagues to preemptively say, we're keeping an eye out for you and for your mental health. We now understand that what matters to you beyond just basketball is this activism, this care for your community, this this importance that you feel of your voice and how you can resonate with your communities and the people that follow you and and, and care about you and 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 look up to you. We need to look out in advance for that instead of waiting for you to come to us and tell us you can't go tonight and that you need to individually remove yourselves because there is so much power in togetherness and in support fits for not just the black players feeling like it's on them to step away, that instead they can have an entire team say in support of you and in solidarity, all of us are going to sit out and spend the time that we need on this. Solidarity is such a well-placed word there. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, There is a sense of togetherness in the way that this is being handled that I think at some point is somewhat inspiring from the players to the teams to the leagues that are looking at this and saying, okay, what's the best way to handle this? It's not adversarial as I thought it would be at different times. So uh, for me, when I see leagues coming in and saying, hey, we're going to put a plan in place, to me it, it says, hey, We're listening to you, we're listening to what's important to you, and we're going to make sure that we're prioritizing that at some level. And I'm never going to have a problem with sports that choose to prioritize the athletes that make the sacrifice to play them, frankly. Now, Myra Metcalf, uh, you you can listen to him on Sunday mornings on ESPN Radio. Uh, This was what he had to say about Major League Baseball and NBA having a plan in place. But I think if you are the NBA, Major League Baseball, you've got to think long and hard. You have to have a plan in place. You have to have a plan in place that says if there's a reaction across the country that we may not have anticipated that perhaps involve a lot of the emotions, which we're already seeing in this case, what's your move? But I personally think it would be unfair to a lot of these athletes around the country for them to have to watch this all unfold. And then within hours face reporters like me who are going to say, hey, how does it all feel? You know, that's a lot for them to process, too. I think yeah. it's an important point, Sarah, too, what he said at the end. Like, these questions are going to come to all of these people. Like, it's not like there's a vacuum suddenly created where they won't have to ask what, answer questions about the emotions they're feeling in the moment. So if you're going to force them to answer those anyway, listening to those emotions, I think, becomes more important than ever. Right. And Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, you know, whatever the verdict of the Chauvin trial, um, the lasting effects of George Floyd's death and watching it and how it created this racial reckoning in our country – um, has resulted in, in a heavy burden on those that, that care and those that are moved to act. And you're right. It's not just go play a game. It's then be asked about how it's affecting you. It's then unload after maybe a bad game or a tough game or a big game or an injury on something that it, that weighs even more heavily. And, you know, you, you sent me before the show also the, the NFL, a, a, a memo from Roger Goodell sent to league employees at the New York and L.A. offices today essentially saying here's a bunch of resources that the league has through their employee assistance program to help you deal with trauma and anger and emotion that follows this kind of violence and might follow the news that that you might not want to hear about this trial and it it 
you know, connections through a lot of the work that the NFL players are doing for the Center for Policing Equality, the Council on Criminal Justice and Task Force on Policing, Metro Family Services, the Vera Institute of Justice. Again, it's so nice. I don't care if they're doing it in part because it looks good publicly. The idea that they're getting out ahead of this and they are connecting with players on the work that can help them and that it's being done in this space, um, I think is is a really positive step forward versus reacting after outcry that feels desperate and and needs to be so um, severe as to finally get the attention of people who for a long time weren't listening. Yeah, it's such a great point that, you know, that that's part of what I think really resonates for me is watching even leagues like the NFL come in and say, hey, there are systems in place. And to that end, it feels like it's more of a common conversation that everybody's having together. And it's funny for all of the yelling and screaming that has rightfully happened over the last years, people try and gain understanding through all of it to see sports come together and say, hey, here's what's here for you. Here's how we can make this a better spot for you. Like these are the things that when everybody talks about what's really changed, there's a lot still to be done. But to see the change that is happening in sports and the way athletes are being heard as individuals by the organizations that employ them, I think is particularly inspiring. It is. It is. And I I think there's a lot of really, really brave athletes who have been the leaders on this that have made this happen because this doesn't happen unless some of those voices, some of the martyrs, some of them not have come forward and and spoken on behalf of the rest of the league. Maybe the ones that aren't as vocal, maybe the ones that aren't as good at, at leading with their voice and have been able to say, you know, even someone like Kyrie, who sometimes gets criticized for stepping away. I do think, you know, it matters that he's been able to say when he needs to step away and that influences others too. That's some straight talk. Straight talk wireless. No contracts, no compromise. Obviously, we'll keep you updated on everything we know as it continues to happen throughout the course of the week. Also, we've been asking, big deal, no big deal. We're going to ask you guys to chime in at Spain and Fitz. Uh, We're in the middle of a rivalry series that's fantastic between the Dodgers and the Padres, but is it a rivalry, Sarah? It's tired. It's old, but this whole, like, both teams got to be good. You in? Like, is this a rivalry between the Padres and the Dodgers? Ooh, I think it's a rivalry if it's a team that you really care a lot about beating. I don't care if the Padres haven't kept up with the Dodgers of late. If it matters to the Dodgers fans that they put a beating on them and show them who's still boss and who's still big brother, then to me that's a rivalry. Yeah, hit us up at Spain and Fitz. What's a rivalry? Tell us your favorite rivalry moments. We'll get into all of that coming up, but we're also going to get some baseball expertise coming up. One of our favorites is going to get into the Yankees, the incredible Padres, Dodgers series, and other baseball goodies next. That's on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I'll be enjoying spectacular ratings over the last 18 or 20 games, at least on MLB.tv, and at least in part due to a fiery Padres-Dodgers series that has us asking the question, is a rivalry only a rivalry when both teams are good, or is it just about hate? Whether it's geographical or historical or otherwise, do you just need to hate each other for a good rivalry? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And if we're going to talk all things baseball, let's bring in an expert to help us do it. ESPN MLB analyst Jessica Mendoza. What's up, Jess? Sarah, what's up? Jason, how are you guys doing? Hey, Jess. We're good. I mean, not as good as you. We're going to get to that that question about rivalries in a second. We're not as good as you because you're throwing out the first pitch tonight at Mariners-Dodgers. Is this your first at an MLB game? Are there nerves? What are we feeling? What's going on? Yeah, I am like beyond excited. I have not, I've been calling baseball games for however many years, but like I've, I have not been inside a baseball stadium for over a year. And I know that's like the norm for everyone right now, but 
I was pulling into Seattle with my husband. We drove by the stadium. It was like, I was like a little kid. I was literally screaming, <laughs> like, there's the stadium. And I think it's twofold. I mean, Sarah, you know this. When you're working an event, it's definitely a different experience. You, you love being there. You appreciate it. But it's definitely different when you're showing up as a fan. You just get to, like, get all – I mean, just walking around downtown Seattle right now. By the way, it's like 70 degrees. There isn't a cloud in the oh. sky. There's Dodger fans everywhere it's like the whole city's taken over for baseball which is super fun um it's just I, i'm like a little kid it reminds me of being 10 years old and going to my first game that's how i feel about going to the game tonight we have real baseball to get to jess but i gotta ask this like any any practice for the throw not throw? i know you're natural and, and you've been doing this forever but like do you do you throw get a couple like warm-up throws in before you go or do you just like go for it so now, like, I'm, I feel like I'm getting nervous. I've been asked that like 10 times. And I'm like, <laughs> like, they just, I literally got a text from Buster Olney five minutes ago. He's like, did you bring a ball with you? Like, you need to warm up. And I'm like, <laughs> come on. Like, throwing is like ingrained into my blood. like all I ever do. I mean, yeah. it's been a while. But I think I, for you, don't need the practice. <laughs> don't overthink it. Just go do it. Everybody else, absolutely practice. Like you, you don't need it. You're you're better off not overthinking it, in my opinion. We're talking to well, Jess Mendoza. It, 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 <laughs> if I was trying to hit, if I was trying to hit, like maybe that'd be one. But it's like that is like the most natural thing that I feel like you can do is just throw a ball, right? Well, for, for you, people, for, for you. People, I mean, think. we've seen a lot of clips of people where it doesn't look so natural. All right, I practiced let's... a lot before a tiny minor league oh, baseball throw. I, I mean, a lot. Fits. Like you know, I'm just saying, like. It's you're, not you're natural for some player, of us, uh, you know. Ooh, yeah, yeah, like you're na- what's natural. I can for play you the national the anthem with no yeah. practice, but throwing a ball is going to take some time. That's <laughs> just saying. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Jess Mendoza uh, going to be thrown at the first pitch at Mariners Dodgers, but let's go back to this last series, Dodgers Padres. Do you agree with me that yeah, it's a better rivalry when both teams are great? But anybody who argues that pa- Padres Dodgers is not a rivalry because the Padres haven't been good enough in recent years. Ignore the fact that it's all about the hate. And that's why everyone was so excited for an April series because little brother goes and gets a bunch of pieces and wants to try to fight big brother. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at the off season and just the amount of hype coming into the season. A lot of that is driven by the fact that there were only 60 games last year. So everyone's looking for the big storylines, the hot action, the big stars, and you're going to find it West and in Los Angeles and San Diego. And, I am not of the belief that you need to have some historic rivalry that goes back 50 years and black and white television. I mean, those are great. Red Sox, Yankees, I get it. Cubs, Cardinals, even going back to Giants and Dodgers, those are a different kind of rivalry. But what we saw this weekend was exactly what you just said, Sarah. It's like that pure competitive, I want to kick your, I don't know what I'm allowed to say on radio, but like that <laughs> is exactly what came out. And that's a rivalry. Like it could have started yesterday. It doesn't matter. These teams want to kill each other. And by the way, they've got what, 15 more games? I mean, it's crazy. So Jess, I really thought with the, the injury news around Tatis Jr. that like there would be some lingering effect and it would just derail the entire season. Then he's back like within days and still playing. Like, So when you look at the Padres and particularly the injury, like, can I just dismiss that from them moving forward and feel like they're going to be good? Oh, oh they're going to be great. And I think that I'm more concerned of Fernando Tatis Jr., not his body, but just the mindset of a young player coming back. And he had a couple of errors this weekend. He was one for 13. He was a huge home run on Friday night. But, I mean, there's so much hype around 14 years and $340 million. And I think there's a lot of pressure that he feels. And in these games, when everybody's watching, 
this is new for him. This is different for him. Before it was the guy that people kind of talked about, but then he just wowed everyone. Now the expectation is real. The money is real. And so I'm more concerned with, you know, the pressure that he's going to continue to feel if he's not the guy that's always getting it done. I mean, there's so many key players in that roster. I mean, even when he was out, the way that team can play with Eric Cosmer, Manny Machado, I mean, there's so many studs. But I, I do have concern, real concern, for Fernando Tatis Jr., more so in just and and when he, you know he's going to struggle. That's just going to happen naturally and how he responds to that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to ESPN MLB analyst Jess Mendoza about all the news in the MLB. Let's talk Royals and what we're seeing from this team. Is this sustainable? You think they're going to be atop the central for the foreseeable future? I mean, I, I don't know if it they'll be like clearly ahead. I think this Royals team, I had them as my surprise team early and not surprised like they're going to win the AL or honestly even win the division. But everyone talks about the Twins, the White Sox, and how young and fun they're to talk, talk about. The Indians always get in the conversation Everybody was ignoring the Royals. I had them early. I had them the first week of the season. And what I liked about this team is they've always been able to pitch. They've always had guys out of the bullpen, starting pitching, of course. But this this batting order, the depth in the batting order, like even me, I was looking at it going, wait, they're missing two of their starters. Um, and I, I just was blown away by the guys off the bench and how they could rake and this team hasn't performed offensively, but has always, like I said, been able to be one of the best teams in the division with their pitching. Now that they're hitting, I definitely think this is a team that needs to continue to be in the conversation for the division, especially we see some of these other teams struggle. Stay with the struggles then for a second, talking to Jess Mendoza, ESPN Major League Baseball analyst, Spain and Fitz. How concerned are you with the Yankees' slow start? Oh, you know, I was just talking to this. <laughs> I get caught up in it because we're talking about it every day, you know, and I think with all the excitement that comes with opening day and opening week and then the first few weeks, and then you look up and they're five and 10 and it's like, they're a last in the AL East. It's, it's with all of the hype coming in, this is supposed to be Yankees and Dodgers in the world series. Doesn't everyone remember? I get caught up in like, Oh my gosh, this team is awful. Like they're not scoring. They're not producing. They're making errors. Like what's happening. And then I have to remind myself, like we're not even through the month, like the very first month of this season. And I don't know, just knowing the talent that's there, I feel like with the experience that they also have and the pressure that they're they're truly, I mean, this is not a team that by far they're going to finish last in the AL East, of course, but I definitely think we'll see them rise to the top again throughout the season and maybe ha- and maybe fall again. But this is not the, the Yankees team that you will see throughout the rest of the season. There is concern just because it's it's five and ten, and they are in the back. But let's let's like check back in once summer starts to hit and see where they they really are. Yeah, maybe Jay Bruce will come back. He'll be like, all right, we're all back in. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to retire for now while I suck and we all suck. But if you guys start playing well, maybe I'll be back in. Uh, okay. Jess Mendoza with us here really on Spain mindset. and Fitz. <laughs> yeah. Um, last question for you as as we're talking about the Mets again, back in the news, culture wise. Um, you know, a lot of people have talked about baseball and baseball culture, and in some ways there are some massive steps forward with women getting hired as, as coaches and, and, and now Kim Eng as a, as a GM. But there's also that, that underlying feeling of a lot of young men who go straight from minors to a clubhouse. They don't really have the interactions out in the world. They spend the majority of their year surrounded by other young men. And uh, what culture that ends up producing in clubhouses and in the baseball world uh, what do you make of, of the Mets or if there's a larger issue that needs to be dug into in baseball? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely a larger issue, hands down. Um, That's something that I've been pretty vocal about, you know, ever since the Jared Porter and even Mickey Calloway. And I mean, I say since, like that was so long ago. But I mean, I think the stuff that's bringing so much attention is not just one organization, but it's throughout all of baseball. And Sarah, my biggest thing is is how can these organizations be more proactive? We all mm-hmm. see the reaction and just the up, like, oh, my gosh, this is not something that we, you know, would ever have. I mean, even here in Seattle, you know, everything that, that went down with their, you know, president of baseball operations, their CEO, and, you know, all, all of the, the culture you can even talk about in different organizations. But how are these guys, these players, and honestly, front office managers, there's nobody off the hook. How are they being... I don't even want to say trained. I mean, we all go through, right, training even in ESPN, like you watch these videos and you, but what what is the re, the real proactive, you know, program that Major League Baseball is having every single organization, organization go through? And that's something that I've talked with MLB about in having more women speaking. If you're not going to have more women in these positions, which definitely needs to change, have more women instead of showing some DVD that you roll into the clubhouse and, hey, we're going to talk about sexual harassment or we're going to talk about, you know, just all of these different issues and it's going to be a a film that we show. Let's have a woman come in front of the clubhouse and, and have like a human being actually talk to players, talk to the managers, everyone that's involved to understand that this isn't just something that's okay. Because that is ingrained into the culture of when you're coming up at 18, 19, 20 years old, and it's all you see when no one's paying attention. But how do we get in front of it from the beginning and really make it real and not some video? I agree with that. And it's I'm writing a story about it now, the the need for proactivity in in all of sports instead of constantly reacting with shock, actually getting out in front of it. Always love the insight, Jess. Good luck tonight. We look forward to seeing the video. Uh, You know, we're we're proud of you already, and we know you're going to crush it. You're the best, yes. <laughs> well, now now I know exactly no what show I'm going to come back to. <laughs> this one when I just three it. <laughs> perfect, <laughs> like, perfect. Oh, it's so natural. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. Take out the mask on. I don't know. That's probably what's Oh, that'd happen. be amazing. Yeah, try to get on the highlight reel. You'll live it in for me forever alongside, you know, Mariah Carey and, and 50 Cent. Uh, Jess Mendoza, she'll be throwing out the first pitch tonight at Mariners Dodgers. She's brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we'll talk about Alex Smith's sort of surprising retirement and ask you to cast the NFC West. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. To get into Alex Smith's retirement and his unlikely return to the NFL and how impressive it was. And I just want to point out before I forget that Brianna Stewart just led her EuroLeague team to a championship title, MVP honors. And in case people haven't kept track, she tore her Achilles 10 months ago. She won a Final Four MVP in a EuroLeague championship, a WNBA title, and a Finals MVP award. Like, just all she's done since coming back from an Achilles is win everything and be the best at everything. So shouts to Brianna Stewart. Like, it's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, I'm just reminded, like, how little I've done with my life in the last that, – that, that's all that tells me. Like, the the fact that I get, like, a, you know, a solid paper cut will keep me out of the gym for a week and a half, and I'm just thinking about that. That's all. That's okay. Right. I mean – Right before that, too, she won the 2018 WNBA Championship at the Storm, was the league MVP, the finals MVP, then led Team USA to the FIBA World Gold, where she was again the MVP and then was Female Athlete of the Year for years back. Anyway, I just sometimes you like get reminded of how great she is, and it's it's kind of hard to fathom. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Kevin Durant, no doubt, 
calling up Brianna Stewart and asking about her rehab schedule and exactly what she did uh, post Achilles tear. Uh, I mentioned Alex Smith. Listen, this is an interesting story. We talked about how Alex Smith had some comments on his way out of Washington that made it sound like the situation as as lovely as it sounded from afar for him to emerge due to injury, help lead them to the postseason and get back out there. Um, it maybe wasn't as, as pretty as it sounded. And then Coach Ron Rivera came on with us last week and said, you know, he sat down with Alex and really talked it through and 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 things were okay. Um, I don't know if Fitz, he looked around and, and saw that there was not the opportunities that he hoped for, or if he looked back and said, I, I proved to myself and my kids and everyone else that I could come back, and maybe going out as a playoff quarterback is the best I'm going to get, and I'd rather do that. That's I kind of the vibe I'm getting. There's a little bit of a both situation to me, right? Like when you look at it and say, hey, I took a team unexpectedly to the playoffs. It was a great story around it. I was able to play the game again, show everybody, you know, what I could do and also answer real questions that I had inside about. Could I get this? Could I make this happen? But then you look around the landscape and the way it's built right now in the NFL, there just aren't a lot of starting opportunities for Alex Smith. So, you know, basically his his choices at this point are essentially narrowed down to does somebody pick somebody in the draft that they want to have a little time, you know, before they actually throw him out on the field? That'd be about it. And I don't think that that's something that necessarily at this stage is something Alex Smith, the player, would be interested in. I mean, Alex Smith, the coach, may have a future career if he wants to do it. Everybody talks about his great presence in locker rooms and his ability to get the most and really teach the game to other quarterbacks. So maybe there's a there's sort of a presence there. But if you're Alex Smith, why do you want to go somewhere and be a backup if you don't have to? Yeah, and I think whether he would admit it or not, there's probably still a deep fear of what his body is capable of and how he would recover if there were another catastrophic injury. So to have come back, lead a team to the playoffs, and be able to still play with his kids and do all the things that at one point he wondered whether he could do, um, maybe he ties a bow on it and doesn't put that kind of stress on his family for another couple seasons in a backup role. Um, he released a video that, that shows... Um, some of the unlikely footage post-injury where you just thought there's no way he's coming back, where you hoped that he survived, and then you hoped he walked, and then you hoped he ran, and then he's back in the league again. Here's a little bit of what it sounded like alongside that footage. For me, yeah, it was actually on the uh, the side of a of a, a snowboarding trip. I was on the side of a mountain with my two boys and my dad, and I hadn't been snowboarding since college. It had been 17 years, and I couldn't I couldn't sleep the night before. I was nervous, excited, and, and wondering if my leg would, would, would hold up and how it would do. And, and then to go out there and, and to be on, be on the mountain with my kids uh, and my dad, who taught me how to ski, was amazing. And to overcome that and to face that uh, again, and I, and I feel like I built up a lot of walls throughout this recovery process. And there's more walls left out there to take down. And, and I look forward to doing that and, and doing that as a father and a husband. Yeah, there is something of not taking for granted that he got back to a place of close to normalcy and that continuing to risk it in the game of football might take him steps back from the things that he wants to enjoy after his career with his kids, just like going snowboarding. Well, and there's also a spot of like, what do you miss from the game? We always hear about people miss the game. They miss the uh, camaraderie, the locker room, the atmosphere around it as much as they miss playing football. And sometimes when that's taken away from you due to injury, I think it's hard for you to really put context around it. You get back in the game, you realize that you've accomplished all of this, you get to this point, and then you realize that the stuff behind the scenes, you know, maybe maybe you don't love that part. Maybe you don't right. love, you know, some of those other elements. And that makes it a lot easier to look at it and say, hey, 
I got back. I answered that question. I can close the chapter, but I control. You know, I think having control of when you can close any chapter in your life makes it much easier to walk away. He didn't have that with the injury. He does with his retirement now. Well, and worth noting, too, that if he's looking onto the landscape and saying that locker room camaraderie and all of that will be new, I'm going to go somewhere else again and start again. It doesn't maybe have the same draw as returning to the same team with the same players with something to finish. He had wrapped up his time with Washington. It ended, and you can decide for yourself how seriously to take the comments he made. I think it was to GQ or whether or not it was a little bit smoother per per Ron Rivera and others. Um, But that was ended. And at that age, with that injury, with everything he had overcome, there's maybe a step back in just joining another team in the background, starting fresh with all those other players and and recreating that that vibe that you have when you've been somewhere long enough. So – I, I commend him, and Fitz, I, th- I don't think there's enough words to say to how inspiring what he did was, and truly, if his goal was to prove to his kids that you could do anything you want and you could come back from anything, he sure did that. No doubt. I, absolutely an inspiration for everybody, and I'm bummed to see him go, but I also am really glad that he legitimately, we, always, we say this all the time, but he walked away from the game. Yeah. That's a statement given what happened to his leg. And he really came back. Not not just for a couple throws, but he really came back and played yeah, and true. played in a postseason Very game, true. which is incredible. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, while we're talking NFL, we've been casting coaches from the different divisions. I'm going to throw this up at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain. We're going to do the NFC West. There's going to be some good-looking actors good thrown up for this coaches. one. Cardinals, Rams, Niners, Seahawks coaches will throw up the pictures. You tell us who you'd cast in the movie about them. Uh, somehow I'm sure Kevin James will still be back. He's been in every single division at least <laughs> once. Everybody will. I mean, I guess it was good casting by Adam Sandler because he keeps showing up. Uh, Spain and Fitz. Grant Wall is going to join us next. Talk about this Super League of Soccer, also the start of the MLS. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now, Grant Wall of the Football with Grant Wall podcast. All things soccer. This is where I go. And Grant, there's a massive soccer story. No, it's not the NWSL being midway through the Challenge Cup. It's not the MLS season starting. It's the Super League that is threatening, I guess, all of Europe and the world, but with a takeover that would change the face of, of the highest leagues of soccer. So for those who are just hearing about the Super League, if you can, sort of just describe uh-huh. exactly what they have planned. Yeah, so the Champions League, as it currently stands, is the top soccer club competition in the world. But you actually every team has to qualify every season to participate in Champions League. So if you're a team in the English Premier League, you need to finish in the top four of the Premier League to compete in the following season's Champions League. And that's the case. You have to earn your place for every team in Champions League. That's one of the bedrocks of European soccer and how things work over there. So this Super League is now... 12 of the biggest clubs in European soccer are saying, we're going to form our own version of Champions League. We're not going to compete in Champions League anymore. And the 12 of us are going to be in the Super League every single year, no matter how good or bad we are in our domestic leagues. 
And the reason they're doing that is because they want to maximize revenues. They want to have expectations of revenues every year. And so they're breaking away from the the competition Champions League that has been organized this way for decades by UEFA, the governing body of European soccer. And so they're going to let in, the plan is, five teams every year based on merit, and they're going to tell us how that works, and they're going to control all the revenues of this tournament, this new tournament, in a way that UEFA doesn't get it. Basically, they're going to nuke UEFA. And so this could have a, would have a huge impact on European soccer as we know it and would impact the domestic leagues as well. And so European fans are irate. So, Grant, let's take the fans out of the equation entirely. If I'm a player or I'm a team owner, why do I, why do I hate this? If you're a team owner and you're pursuing this as one of the 12 teams to break away, you're trying to get more revenue than you currently do. And so from a pure financial perspective, I guess I can understand what they're doing, but it's also very much against the collective sport of soccer in Europe. And this will have, you know, basically in the last 10 to 15 years, the inequality between the rich teams and the small teams in Europe has just increased and increased a lot like society. And so this will only increase that in the coming years when you look at the way money comes in globally in this sport. Um, If you're a player, we haven't heard yet from Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo or Kylian Mbappe what they think. Now, one interesting aspect of this Super League is that they announced they would have a salary cap. And so that's something we haven't seen in the past in European soccer, and players have never had to deal with that. So players may not actually like this. And we've had UEFA respond to this Super League by saying if players participate in this Super League, they will not be allowed to play in the World Cup or the the European Championship with their national teams. Whether that's a legal threat or not, we'll have to find out probably in the court systems. But this is a battle for the the existence of, of European soccer as we know it. And, and people are going to the mattresses here. And, and I'm very curious to see what, you know, what Lionel Messi says. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Grant Wall. You can listen to all of his football and soccer takes on football with the Grant Wall podcast. Uh, interestingly, some of the things that came up in those conversations uh, post the Super League announcement is that some of the people – in the negotiation meetings with the Champions League stuff are also people who head up these teams, right? Like this, the guy from Juventus is is in the meetings acting like he's, you know, negotiating uh, on behalf of, of the future of, of the way things already are while simultaneously behind the scenes planning for this massive announcement that's going to change everything, which I think creates some serious issues of trust among those uh, involved in this. And to your point, there's this feeling of togetherness that they that a rising tide, uh, what's the saying? All levels lifts all boats all or ships. lifts all boats. Thank you. Um, and is that fair though to expect of the very best teams if they do have a couple teams every year that play their way up and into the Super League? Is that enough in terms of 
helping build the sport and build programs that otherwise, you know, wouldn't have the money to, to get on the level of the best? I mean, there's a couple things that are happening here. The, the clubs that are pushing the Super League are pretty self-serving in what they're saying. They're claiming that what they're doing is not going to just enrich themselves, but that they will uh, give a lot of their profits to the rest of the clubs in Europe more than they currently get from the, the current UEFA system. So I don't think it's actually a situation here where these biggest clubs in Europe are actually uh, thinking about the, the greater good. They're looking out for themselves, you know, and, and you look at Arsenal and Tottenham, for example, you know, they're not even close to being in a position to qualify for Champions League next year. And now they're in a situation where they'll be able to qualify for the equivalent of Champions League every year because they no longer need to qualify. So you can see why it's in their interest to do this. Um, and yet it all just seems like a very cynical situation. And like you said, I mean, there's real trust issues because just on Friday and Saturday, the Juventus owner agreed to the new UEFA Champions League rules and was like talking with the UEFA people and then basically stabbed them in the back and on Sunday declared this breakaway league. So I think it is very hard to, to view these guys as trustworthy characters at this point who are looking out for the good of the sport when they're, they're looking out for themselves. Grant, through all of this, we're talking to Grant Wall. You can check out his podcast, Football with Grant Wall. Podcast starts, uh, and that's on Sports Illustrated. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Real quick, before we let you go, got to ask you about MLS. I'm in Nashville a bunch, and the entire city seemed to be uh, absolutely fired up last night for the beginning of the season for Nashville. Uh, is there anything you're looking for early in the MLS as a trend uh, coming into this season after the weirdness of what we've gone through in COVID and as everybody tries to sort of get their bearings around them? I mean, so far, the opening weekend of MLS games are really entertaining. Lots of good games, good goals being scored, starting to get fans back in the stands, uh, some in locations that seem a, a bit more prudent than others. Um, but, you know, there's 27 teams now in MLS. They added a team in Austin this year. You mentioned Nashville, which has a, a really good soccer stadium being built. And you, you're seeing around the country now – they're going to open new stadiums uh, in Cincinnati, which has an amazing new soccer stadium uh, in Austin, in Columbus, Ohio this year. Um, the infrastructure is getting built. And, and I know Sarah's thought about this too. You know, I like, I want to see along with the soccer infrastructure being built, I would like to see NWSL teams mm -hmm. start in Cincinnati and Columbus and Austin as well. And they've expressed some interest, but I'd like to see him go further with that. Grant, always good to have you on. If you want to hear Grant and his wife, Celine Gounder, who's an incredible uh, epidemiologist and extremely smart doctor who can speak to what's going on with COVID, they were on my podcast. That's what she said with Sarah Spain not long ago. And then if you want to hear me talk about my ownership in the Red Stars, I was on his podcast not too long ago. It was a home and home. We get to promote everything. It's shameless. It's wonderful. Uh, listen to football with Grant Wall. Thanks for the insight. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. Grant Thanks, Wall Grant. with us on the Goodyear Hotline. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com.
Coming up next, we're going to get into uh, Fitz's take on how this Super League is inspiring more conversation about an NCAA spinoff, plus Trey Lance's second pro dates. Coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz hits me up today when we're talking Super League ahead of the show and says, this is just going to get the Power Five folks talking again. I wanted to get into that spinoff conversation because there is certainly a tie between the very best of the European soccer teams wanting to create their own we're the best, we do our own thing league versus what a lot of people have been urging and considering the Power Five to do. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and brought to you by My Computer Career, Training for a Better Life. So Fitz, lay it out for me. Do you think there's more similarities here or are there ways that this just can't be compared? Yeah, I think there's a ton, a ton of similarities in the sense that what did Grant just talk about so much with this? It was about... You know, the fact that essentially a group of owners and a group of players are going to do what's best for them and they're going to make their money. And, and really, whatever happens to the rest of the world of soccer, be damned. It's just going to be what, what it takes. There is a mindset around Power 5 college football right now that feels the same way. I mean, there's this this group of five versus Power 5 argument where smaller schools are saying, how do we get ourselves into the conversation? What's going to happen? And do we get playoff expansion? But in the meantime, you've got schools that make huge money, like Texas, just on their TV deals that are looking around saying, well, we don't need any help from anybody. So, I, I mean, as much as it, it seems like, well, that's soccer and that's very different than the way we do things here – I mean, the the one thing that I think holds Power 5 away from, from sort of separating themselves is it would take the sacrifice of ego of having some sort of a commissioner that would come in and be the uh, Roger Goodell of Power 5 football. I'm not sure that every conference can come to an agreement on that, but monetarily it makes a ton of sense. And if it means that they leave the smaller schools behind, I mean, frankly, if you're Florida, why do you care about the solvency of Cincinnati as a football program? You don't. So I think there are some similarities. Here's here's where I think the issue is, and this is, of course, coming from somebody who thinks the entire NCAA system should be blown up. I don't think name, image, and likeness is enough. I think we essentially have created a minor league system where everybody gets to profit like a professional league except for the players, and the amateur notion is at this point complete BS and completely untethered to reality based on the capitalism that has taken hold and the amount of money that is being made. That being said, even if you tried to you know, offer up a separate area of college sports decided by the most successful and profitable, you would immediately then have to change the arguments that you make for amateurism, for why you could continue going on the way you have without paying players um, for Title IX. Like all of these things would get blown up by this effort to even more profit off of what you're doing, right? And in some ways, these programs still rely on beating up on the bad player teams, right? I mean, the one thing you could say about the Super League is that you don't get any gimmies. That, and that's a great point. I mean, I think one of the big fears you'd have here is that would you actually let some schools in? Like, if the Power Five was going to break themselves away, I wonder if more conferences were going to look would look around and say, okay, no offense to Nashville, but we need our Vandy. Like, we need a team mm-hmm. in this conference that we know we're going to be able to get a win over, you know, and that's – I could see if you're in the Big 12, you're like, well, Kansas football still provides us with a win every time. You know, you're going to have to put some cupcakes in, but the funny thing is I think some of these teams are going to would be fighting in that situation. Like, if you are a an athletic program in general looking around on the West Coast and you're saying, well, I can be part of the Mountain West – 
or I can do whatever it takes to be in the Pac-12 because if I'm not in the Pac-12, I don't get to play with the big boys. I mean, if that means you got to get your butt kicked in, in football, but you still get to be part of that, there are schools that I think would do that. So, you know, it, it's you're absolutely right. I think what they need to do is stuff it a little bit with some cupcakes that could actually turn around and do it. Now, all that to say right now, you know, in the grand scheme of things, as much as people complain about college football in so many different ways, it's working. Ratings are up. Money's up. Everybody's very happy with everything. Well, I, it's I, working I don't think, for the people right. who benefit Correct. from it. The people that would be t- deciding to break away are pretty yeah. happy right now. That's yeah. all I'm saying. But, yeah, yeah, it doesn't work for the kids at all. Well, it'll be fascinating to see what happens with this Super League because, as Grant mentioned, they sprung it up on people that they've been in meetings with right up until two days ago without any mention of it. There's legal fights there um, across multiple continents. Um, there are there are those, you know, all the way up to Secretary of States for Culture and, and Sport um, looking into figuring out how to legally try to ban this from happening. And maybe this is posturing just to continue get even more out of the Champions League. But um, this is a massive announcement. And if you're not super into European football, which I'm not, and Premier League and Champions League and all that stuff, um, start digging in because it's fascinating to look at how this might spin out into other, other places. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio. Speaking of college football, second pro day for Trey Lance. And Fitz, I've been saying all along that because I've been in this industry, I'm so cynical as to never believe when people are just flat out telling us what they're going to do, especially in the draft when it's lion season. So for whatever reason, I am still very hesitant to believe that Mac Jones is the guy for the Niners. I keep thinking that they're rolling that out there with some ulterior motives to lying and misleading us. I'm not sure what they are. I just never believe it when everyone's saying the same thing. So it's interesting to me as Trey Lance holds his second pro day and the Niners script out his workout that we're getting some people saying, oh, maybe it's not quite as cut and dried. Matt Bowen, ESPN NFL writer, was on Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and said this about Trey Lance. The physical element he brings to the position. I think he is excellent in terms of play-action concepts. Where does that fit? Kyle Shanahan's offense. Um, he can push the ball down the field vertically. We've seen that consistently on his college tape. You can scheme him as a runner, whether in low red zone situations, third and two to six situations. And we know we can move both inside and outside of the pocket. He has the traits that really fit today's NFL. Now, what you're looking at there, you don't have a large sample size. Again, it's again, he plays 17 games against FCS-level competition. So he, he didn't see consistent NFL situations in terms of the talent. But again, you have to bet on the traits. I think that's what this is about, the quarterback position, betting the high-level traits in a schemed NFL passing game, and that's what you'll get with Trey Lance. I want to have you respond to that, Fitz, but quickly. Here's Mina Kime saying the other thing I found relevant, which is everyone keeps talking about Mac Jones, Fitz, Shanahan. Well, so does Trey Lance. We saw yeah. Trey at North Dakota State under center, play action, booting out, doing all the things we tend to associate, associate with Kyle Shanahan offenses, which, by the way, um, have evolved over time with different quarterbacks. I think we're all so dialed in on what we've seen recently with Jimmy Garoppolo over the middle of the field. So much of the pass is going there. We forgot that with, of course, RG3, Kyle favored, you know, using the zone read with Matt Ryan. You saw the ball going outside and deep more often, so he's perfectly capable of tailoring his scheme to the yeah. quarterback he has. And, Sarah, I agree with everything that Mina just said there, and what, what Bowen said makes a lot of sense. Let me just say this, though. Bet on the traits as a phrase? 
Like, mm. what's the point of playing college football then? I, I, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, if Trey Lance goes ahead of Justin Fields because of his traits, then why is any quarterback that looks and runs and throws like an NFL quarterback even bothering to play college football at all? I mean, Trey Lance is somebody that played one game last season, and it was an opt-out year, I get it. But he only completed 50% of his passes against trash opponents. He has one good year on his resume against a level of opponent that we know nothing about. So uh, I, I understand that he may look, throw, and act like a quarterback that could be successful in the NFL. But Justin Fields has actually shown he can do all of those things against the highest level of competition. And we're finding a reason to downplay that while we upsell Trey Lance because of the mystery around it. It drives me crazy. I do agree with you that the mystery can be filled with good stuff instead of assuming the bad, but I do think we also saw Fields be a relatively bad decision maker. I think Mac Jones probably has the lowest potential of all of them. So whether you succeed at the college level is not necessarily an indicator of whether you can compete at the pros. So I don't think it's as simple as saying what you looked like there means you're going to look good here. I think that's why sometimes the traits do come into play, and that's why there's so many questions about where all these guys are going to go. Speaking of the draft, a former NFL DB who studies the tape joins us next to see what he thinks. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You just heard it right there. Round one of the NFL draft Thursday night, April 29th, 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. All three days of the draft on ESPN Radio. Nagandi and L. Duncan going to be holding it down on ESPN Radio for the uh, first couple of nights of the draft. You don't want to miss that. That'll be great. Uh, is particularly to see how they react when their teams are on the clock. Always good stuff from them. And also, uh, I'll be holding it down on day three of the draft. So uh, that, that marathon Saturday, uh, be sure to come hang out with us, uh, and we'll get you through all the picks. Plus, if you like the digital formats, uh, I'll be back on the first two days of the draft with Michael Jr. Field Yates, a bunch of Sports Nation people, big group of us coming together there. So we'll get you updates on information as it comes through. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz now. We're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline. One of my favorite draft guys that just knows more about this than most of us. Uh, a guy that's deep in the film can get us all the answers we could ever want. Former Vandy great, too. So I love the Nashville tie-in. Corey Chavis, <laughs> president and founder of DraftNasty.com, former NFL DB. Corey, thanks so much for the time, man. I appreciate it. We were just sort of trying to figure out Trey Lance and how to make sense of, of having great traits from somebody that played one year against questionable competition. So you've watched the film to you, if you were running a franchise, you taking a bet on Trey Lance in the top five? I, I, mean, I don't know about the top five. First of all, thank you all a lot for having me on. It's, it's great. I, I heard you talk about Nashville. I know you you get down with your music, man. So uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. But um, in, in terms of Lance, I, I feel like the, the, the positive is that on third down a year ago, uh, they were very good. And I think that's one of the first things that NFL coaches and, and quarterback coaches and office coordinators look at is just how efficient are you on third down, particularly because North Dakota State ran primarily a pro-style offense that was run-centric. And so for him, you know, that was a down that, you know, he created magic on, quite frankly, most of the time. Now, in fairness, this year in his only game against Central Arkansas, uh, to your question about whether or not you take a guy like that in the top five, I wouldn't simply because uh, even in that game, you could see that there's still some deficiencies in terms of growth, holding the pocket. He had a strip sack fumble, for example, in that game uh, when he was holding the ball a little bit too long and, and you know, double pumped in the pocket. You see some of those things on film. He can create, though, in the red zone and kind of makes it 11-on-11 football. And he's almost kind of like, uh, in terms of the red zone capability, more like a Cam Newton type uh, in terms of his power. I'm 
not high on Mac Jones. I understand he's got great accuracy, good decision-making. What we saw from him at the collegiate level was incredibly impressive. But he's not fast. He's not super athletic. I just worry about what the ceiling is at the professional level. And I know that there are outliers like Tom Brady where it doesn't need to be about the ability to move in the pocket and everything else. But are you high on his longevity and success in the league? Well, I think you bring up some good points and some of the, the points that you made in, in terms of being you know, a little bit statuesque. Uh, but in terms of whether or not he has longevity, I, I think he'll have longevity. I mean, let's face it. There's some quarterbacks like, you know, we forget about Blaine Gabbard, right? He's still in the league, you know, as a backup with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, uh, and, and I thought he was a pretty athletic quarterback coming out of Missouri. But yeah, the I guess point ceiling is, then, if right? You, if he's smart enough and he's comp- you know, competent enough, he can stick around. But do you see him being among the best in the league at any point? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think the, uh, do you consider Kirk Cousins among the best? I could see that being a potential comparison, somebody like Kirk Cousins in, in terms of what he's done. I think he's been pretty efficient uh, in, in, a, in a, for a number of years, and, and he's put up good numbers. But I think that's where the ceiling that you're asking about may come in uh, with Mac Jones, who I think is a very good deep ball artist. But let's don't forget, you know, Mac Jones has some off-the-field stuff too. So, I mean, just in being fair – to all the quarterbacks in the discussion, you know, you know that's something that NFL teams will have to parcel through and, and make sure that, you know, they're comfortable with. We're talking to Corey Chavis, president and founder DraftNasty.com, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. So let's take position out of it. Let's, if, if we all agree that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the top pick, if you didn't care about position but you're sitting at the number two pick, who's the second best player in this draft? Well, I like Michael Parsons out of Penn State. He's six foot three, over two hundred forty-five pounds. Uh, he runs very well. Uh, I thought last year he ended. If you couldn't end, if you're going to opt out of the season, you couldn't end on a higher note than uh, the performance he put on in the Cotton Bowl in 2019 against Memphis. That was arguably the the most dominant defensive performance anybody had a year and a half ago. Uh, so I think he's right up there now. It's a battle to me between him and Panay Sewell in terms of who that number two player is. And, and both of those guys are actually in the, the top five in terms of the way we have it ranked. So, so clearly I think that, um, you know, Michael Parsons is a player that has a chance to be a, a pro bowler pretty early in his career. Corey Chavis is with us. He's blowing up. Everybody wants his insight on the draft. That's why his phone keeps ringing because he's got so much to say about the upcoming NFL draft. He's with us here on Spain and Fitz. Um, Corey, I'm convinced everyone's always lying to me. Do you find it strange when you hear from teams, even ones that seem to be in a set position where, you know, you know, who's going to go before them? I'm speaking specifically of, you know, the Niners. I I don't trust when everyone's saying the same thing. I feel like in this industry, that tends to be when somebody goes oppo. So are you suspicious of the idea that it's a done deal for Jones to the Niners? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think you, you look at the, the number of quarterbacks. I think just from the discussion that we're having, the, you, in terms of what you said about Mac Jones and then you know, the discussion we had about Fields, we talked about maybe whether or not it, it may be a little bit of a developmental period, but we just compared him to Cam Newton. We haven't talked about Justin Fields, uh, who actually threw six touchdown passes in the uh, Sugar Bowl and, and really 51 touchdowns to seven uh, turnovers in 2019, and as a matter of fact, back-to-back Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. So there are a lot of candidates, and, you know, it depends on how do we know that it's just a lock that Zach Wilson's going number two. You know, what if he's available? Uh, so I think these teams all have to do their work, uh, and there's certainly some teams that 
maybe provide that smoke screen you're talking about, Sarah, in terms of maybe, you know, showing more interest around this time of the year at a particular workout to throw some teams off. You want to mm-hmm. keep people thinking uh, so you can kind of necessitate or maybe force some moves from other teams, particularly high in the draft if you have a pick. We're talking to Corey Chavis, president and founder of DraftNasty.com, former NFL defensive back on Spain and Fitz. So, Corey, uh, a lot of conversation every year now about wide receiver. I feel like every year we're telling people, this is the best wide receiver class ever. Jamar Chase is a prospect everybody loves. But outside of that, is there somebody that you think you look at and say, man, day one's difference maker that might be available after Jamar's off the board? Yeah, I think there are a couple of guys that, that kind of fit into the category this year. I mean, well, I wouldn't say a couple. I would, I'll would. i give you a kind of a buffet of some names uh, real quick. Uh, Rashad Bateman's one name that certainly is going to, you know, I didn't really have the year he had in 2019, uh, opposite, playing opposite Tyler Johnson when him and Johnson were arguably the best receiver tandem in the country. Uh, but, but I think he's going to be a player that is going to transition to the NFL, uh, maybe even as a a Michael Gallup type on steroids right away. And then if you look at Amon Ross St. Brown, I think he's vastly underrated. He's strong. His game translates. He can do more than one thing. He's returned some punts. Uh, Terrace Marshall, I mean, let's don't forget, when we talk about Jamar Chase, he was actually the number one receiver before fracturing that foot in 2019 after three games. So he fractures the foot. He leads the nation in touchdowns at the time with Joe Burrow. And also, don't forget Justin Jefferson in the fold. He was the guy leading the team at touchdown catches. He gets hurt. So he's another guy that we're talking about after Chase, and he's two and a half inches taller, weighs almost you know five or six pounds more, and has a longer reach in terms of wingspan, and he also runs in the 4-4 range. So those are just a couple of names, but there's certainly more. I mean, in terms of more, what about the Moors? Rondell and Elijah, <laughs> two smaller slot guys who are just absolutely dynamic. Rondell from Purdue ran in that 4-2 range. Then Elijah had the best pro day workout uh, to complement being a dominant receiver this year, 86 catches before opting out of the last two games. So, I mean, we could go on and on, but that just gives you an idea of those names, and there are a lot more, quite frankly. And so for me, I mean, the value at receiver actually is in the second or third round, again, to your point. Before we let you go, Corey, I mean, Kyle Pitts before all of them, right? I mean, he's probably the top pick that's not a quarterback. Yeah, I think, I think he has an opportunity to be. Now, I mentioned a couple of names that we were pretty high on, and, and it all depends on how do you value a tight end. And so we had a, a tight end that we valued pretty high a couple of years ago, TJ Hawkinson. How has that gone? He's certainly a more dynamic threat because now you're talking about comparisons more to a Kelsey in terms of athleticism. For me, I think there's some comparisons, and I know people might laugh at this, Jared Cook coming out. Because when Cook came out, it's easy to forget. He ran in a 4-4 range had over a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical. Now, this was some years back, uh, but he was an outstanding athlete coming out. Now, he's a, he's a better, more polished receiver prospect than, than Cook because I think Kyle Pitts can play some receiver for you. But, again, you know, Cook's been pretty good. You know, so if you, even if he was just Jared Cook, you know, that would, he would be a pretty good player. Uh, but if you're talking about uh, a Kelsey type, uh, you, you know, maybe a Kittle, uh, he, his body frame and play style – it certainly matches more of a Kelsey-type player. You guys be sure to check out DraftNasty.com. They've got a great draft guide. You can get out there. Uh, check it out. It'll make you smarter while you're watching it all go down or listening to it on ESPN Radio. Corey, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate you joining us. Anyway, thanks a lot. I really appreciate y'all having me. Y'all have a great draft, and 
enjoy the next couple of uh, weeks of uh, leading up to it. That's always fun, too. Thanks. Corey Javis joining us, doing great work as always. Don't forget, round one of the draft, Thursday, April 29th, 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. All three days of the draft on ESPN Radio, too. So we got you covered no matter what's coming up. Coming up here, Steph Curry doing things at his age that do not make sense. The question is, does it make him an MVP? We'll give you that answer next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Curry probing at the Celtics logo. He's dangerous from there. Against Grant Williams, finds a spot for three and hits his tenth of the night. Five times this year, Steph Curry with ten triples. He's got 44. Those are the sweet, sweet tones of ESPN Radio on the call. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM channel lady. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's always fun. Wherever you get your podcast, go out there, get it. It's an amazing way to keep uh, in touch with any portions of the shows that you missed. If you missed anything over the weekend, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, what you missed was Steph Curry being amazing. And I don't just mean <laughs> a little amazing, being a lot amazing. And we're used to it. Sarah, I know that we're used to greatness from Steph. But Steph had 47 on Saturday, became the first player since Kobe to score at least 30 points in 10 straight games at the age of 33 or older. That's a very specific stat. And at this point, is just so on fire. I don't know what's more fun, watching him score or watching him dance around when he does it. By the way, the Monday Roundup <laughs> brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. He's got all the swag, all the moves, and he should because he's playing like an MVP. Yeah, I mean, he has been key to the Warriors avoiding what could have sunk their season. They were in a funk, and they've gone 6-4, and four, um, which doesn't sound that amazing, but for a team that doesn't have many options outside of Curry, he's been crushing it. The last 10 games, averaging almost 40 points, shooting 54.6 slash 48.9 slash 90.1% from the field, the three-point range, and the free-throw line. His season has been better in many ways than that unanimous NBA MVP that he got back in 2015-16, averaging a career-high 31 per game. Now listen, he has to do a lot more. There's a reason why he's averaging more, because they don't have the rest of the pieces that they did when, where they were a dynastic team, which leads you to the question, as Magic Johnson tweets about it, as I see other people arguing about it in the Menchies, is he an MVP candidate on a not-great team? And once again, we revisit what is the definition of the MVP in the NBA? Is it the best player? Is it truly the player most valuable to his team without whom the team would not succeed? That is very clearly Steph Curry. But most of the time, we are not comfortable giving MVP awards to teams that are not among the very best. And that, I think, is what is likely to sink his run. But he absolutely should be in the conversation. I just can't wrap my head around that, though, Sarah. Like, if you're the MVP, if you're – look, this is what they need to do. Every every single sport, hear me now. Like, this is this is a level of Stephen okay, A. They're all listening. I'm about to give you, right. you ready for this? <laughs> just change the name of the damn award to the best player. Like, congratulations, the best player in 2021 is. And then mm. we get rid of the stupid argument about where value is. Because to me, fine, most valuable player to me means best player. So, admittedly, it's a self-serving argument. But this is not complicated. Like, you can be the best drummer in the universe and be in a band that sucks. Like, that's possible. So, why is it not possible for you to be a great, amazing, incredible, magnificent basketball player that happens to be on a team that isn't very good. Like, all well, it's of this easier, seems to make sense. Right. It's it's easier in a sport like baseball, say, where Ernie Banks was an MVP a couple times on, and never made the postseason, right? Um, 
it's easier in a sport where you can't single-handedly affect the outcome as much. I think in basketball, it feels like it makes sense, right? If you are one of five players on the court and your team isn't that good, are you as good as a player who's one of five somewhere else and your team is great? It's flawed logic, but it makes more sense in this sport than it does in others, right? Same goes for an MVP season with a, with a football player. Again, though, you're not going to find someone playing great on a crap team that wins the award. That's just kind of what comes with it. I don't think we need to ignore what he's doing, though, um, because of that. I think we can still, um, understanding that he's not likely to win compared to some others, mention him among those folks, if he, especially if he continues doing what he's been doing. I will say, uh, while it's one of the there, there's one movie that is popular for some people that I think is the most failed movie plot of all time. That would be Liar Liar. Like it's a failed movie plot. That I Jim only Carrey, saw it once. I'd have to go back. Like okay, but the whole premise is he ha- he can't tell a lie, right? But that doesn't mean he has to tell brutal, honest, awful right. truth. Good like point. there's, there's yes. middle 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 point there. But if I could apply that that movie to the sports world, like I would go to the Heisman and say, hey, why don't we just call it the best quarterback on the best team? Like that that's fine. Like truth <laughs> right. uh, in in naming awards would be great. And if we would just name the NBA award best player, we could have the argument about it. But at least it'd be a different argument. But to your point, you're right. Uh, there's a, a a place and a way to acknowledge what Steph is doing and also acknowledge the fun that it brings to the possibility of the play-in that they're going to do this year and, and just seeing more Steph is good Steph. So uh, all of those are, are good conversations. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Also, uh, Sarah, we have been uh, – we, we've asked for everybody's help in casting throughout the course of this uh, this week, the different actors that could play, all because Kevin James, curiously, is being – cast as Sean Payton. I still have a hard time with the image of Sean Payton and Kevin James being one, but we have thrown it out to the world to ask them to go ahead and uh, cast the coaches. Do you have uh, any responses that you think are great yet? Right. We started off with, we're we're doing them division by division. Um, And so tonight, uh, it's a very specific group. And every single time you guys still send us Mike Tomlin and Omar Epps. And I get it. We're going to get there. I promise you we're going to get there. But Quit jumping ahead. And also, Andy Reid, everyone wants to catch. We're doing the NFC West tonight. Just the NFC West, okay? Uh, yes, and these are, we got great ones tonight. Okay, Kingsbury, it, it, there's not a lot because it's just Ryan Gosling. Now, somebody threw in a Tom Hiddleston, I'll give him that, but everybody knows Kingsbury's Ryan Gosling. It's just the vibe. Uh, Sean McVay, some really good ones. First of all, Marty Smith, our own Marty Smith from ESPN. Uh, Murray Hewitt, who I never would have thought of from Flight of the Concords, present, uh, absolutely super good call. Absolutely looks like Oh my it. God. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm shook by that. That yes. is a great so call. So much. Yes. It's the grin for sure in the eyes. Uh, Chris Pratt is not someone I would have put with a McVeigh. Some of these, the height are going to be thrown off. He's not a, he's not a big guy. Bradley Cooper, another one that I would not have said until I looked at them next to each other. And then Stifler. Uh, absolutely. There is a bit of Stifler in Sean McVeigh. I see that one for sure. Uh, Shanahan, Jeremy Strong from Succession, a show I have not seen, but many, many people sent that, more than the Goslings for the Kingsbury, and they are spot on. Shanahan looks like Jeremy Strong from Succession. Also, Noah Wiley, who I best remember from ER, and then Ed Norton, who isn't a perfect match, but I want to see that movie. I I want to see the Ed Norton as Shanahan (laughs) movie. I just want to see Ed Norton in a flat brim... NorCal hat. That's that's where I want that to start. Uh, and then Pete Carroll, Steve Martin, Mark Summers from Double Dare, which is oh a deep God. cut and an absolutely great call. Uh, By the way, Slattery, yes, spectacular yeah, show. it's a great show and a great call. Slattery from Mad Men. I think a lot of people just went with dudes known for their like shock white hair. Owen Wilson, actually, 
a little bit older and with the hair, got that one. And then Chris Cooper uh, is another good one. So I was really impressed. There, there were a lot of good suggestions for this one. I've seen a few people tweet out uh, Timberlake with McVeigh yeah. and Kingsbury both. Again, not I something just I would see have what guessed. That, no, but now that I see all three of them together in one thread, I really want to see what that boy band looks like. Like they Ooh. still need to find the bad boy to come in, and then like maybe one that has wild hair. But you just put the three yeah. of them in, in with all of their. They could just have three day growth competitions constantly about who's got the best like shadow coming in. That's, totally. That's I, I also see Adam Sandler as a Shanahan. I could see that. Oh, I can see that too. You know, it's Adam Sandler not as good looking though. I mean, Shanahan's a good looking. Like I'm just telling, like y'all just have an honest moment with yourself. Look at the NFC West and realize that it's a (laughs) it's a division of models. Like I don't care who you are. As Uh, they say on Silicon Valley, that team. I'm not going to say it. (laughs) Freddie Fitzsimmons, they're not as good looking as we are, but they're going to do a great job. They're coming up next. Thanks for hanging. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.